Well, hello, hello. How you guys doing today? That's good. That's good. You guys ready for Christmas? Did all you get your shopping done? Who's completely done with their shopping? Let me see. Raise your hands. Look at you guys, some overachievers in the house. How many people here are Christmas Eve shoppers? Anybody? You're going to go out on Christmas Eve? We got, me, I'm all done. You should be proud. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, we got Christmas Eve shoppers. I braved the mall this week and got my shopping done. Holy cow, that place is a madhouse. I don't recommend that. That's really, really busy. Well, anyhow, um, uh, I'm glad to be here. It's good to be here at church on Sunday in this Christmas season. Um, good to see all your smiling faces. Uh, if you're new here, if you're visiting, uh, my name is Matt Williams, and my wife Amber and I, we're the lead pastors here, and um, if we haven't met, I'd love to shake your hand, get to know you. I'll be hanging out in the lobby after church, and uh, I'd also like to say hi to everybody who's watching online. We're actually live streaming now, and so um, we have people who are watching on the internet, and we'll say hi to y'all that are watching today, and I uh, would love to meet you in person if you haven't been by before. And, uh, and so anyhow, today we are in Christmas mode, and you guys have been around the last few weeks. You know that the holidays bring out the dad jokes in me. The holidays bring out, how do you guys like my dad jokes? They're good. Yes, no, they're, they're groaners, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. So, so I got to say this. All right, what kind of sheets? Oh, I just messed that one up. Next. <laughs> we'll do it next week because you'll forget that sheets was part of the punchline. Sorry. What do you call a, a bankrupt Santa? St. Nicholas. <laughs> That's right. Yes, yes. What do you call in a kid who doesn't believe in Santa? Rebel without a clause. I know, I know. So what do you call someone who's afraid of Santa Claus? Claustrophobic. Yes, afraid of Santa, the claus, claustrophobic. That's right. Today we're going to be talking about something, about the connection or the disconnection that we can sometimes feel with one another. The connection or the disconnection we can sometimes feel with church. Uh, even the disconnection we can feel with one another. Even with God sometimes we can feel either more connected or disconnected with God. In fact, there was a husband and wife. They were sitting at home on the couch one evening watching TV and discussing their end of days and talking about, well, one day when I get old... Um, we're going to die. Hey, listen, if I'm ever in a place, honey, the husband says, if I'm ever in a place where I'm like machines are keeping me alive, like I really don't want to live that way. I don't want to live in a vegetative state like that. So if there's any machine that is just keeping me alive or, you know, bottles of liquid just keeping me going and, and I just want you to do the right thing and, you know, just, just pull the plug and let me go in peace. And the wife, she, she stands up and she's like, okay, if, if that's really what you want, she's got this look of like real admiration towards her husband and so she walks over and she looks at him and unplugs the tv and the xbox and the and the, the video games and and she walks over to the to the kitchen in the bar and she takes all the, the whiskey and the vodka she starts throwing it all away and the beer and she gets rid of all the all the stuff and and man the husband almost died that day he almost almost died that way he's like don't disconnect me yet don't disconnect me yet that's right all the wires and the bottles of fluid you know, we, we have this thing where, in, as a culture in the United States, we live in an unprecedented era in human history. We have more options for connecting with people than we've ever had before in our life. Every one of us, well, nearly every one of us, has a device in our pocket that allows us to connect with people at any given moment. We can pull out our, our cell phone, which in nowadays is like a whole other computer in your pocket all the time, and, and you can call and text and send photos and videos. I was video chatting my friend from Portland the, you know, yesterday and hanging out at home, and we're talking face-to-face -face as if he's in the room, but, but it's, it's, not, it's a device in our hand. That was never imaginable up until just a few years ago. We have the most connected ability. We have the ability to connect with people and each other in an unprecedented way. But yet, if you go and look, the rise of loneliness in our society is going up higher and higher. So we have the highest rates of loneliness while simultaneously having the most available technology at our fingertips to have a connection with another human being. It's kind of an interesting place that we're at. And there's people that feel lonely all the time, and, and they're talking about this, this thing. Our connected world, we have a disconnection problem, more options to communicate, but yet we have an epidemic of loneliness. And so doctors have been studying this over the last few years. 
And, and this is, they've actually been um, recognized the adverse effects of loneliness on the physical body. Yeah, we can talk about the emotional stuff, but it actually has impacts on your physical body. Now, I, I got to tell you, I know this, that, that we have parts of us that are all interconnected. You know, your, your physical body is connected to your emotions, because you know this, because when you are feeling good in your physical body, then your emotions are feeling better as well. And if you're hurt or sick or in pain, sometimes your emotions can be out of whack, right? Well, then our spiritual self is also connected in the midst of that. There's a spiritual side of you. There's an emotional side of you, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, like, like your soul. And then there's your physical side of you. Listen, all those things are connected. And so when one of them is doing bad, it actually drags down the others from time to time. And then if the other one is doing good, then it can help to prop up the other one as well. As a, as a person, I really believe in having a holistic approach to how you approach life. And, and addressing your spiritual and emotional and physical body together is the way to do it. In fact, it even shows the doctors have been saying this, that, that the adverse effects of loneliness on the physical body. So the, the ache of loneliness is real. The ache of loneliness is real. It's a real pain that is felt in the, in the brain. The, continu- the contributing fact, it's actually a contributing factor to heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and arthritis. You know, lonely people are twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's. Twice as likely. Isn't that crazy? Lonely people, loneliness com- com- uh, compromises your immune system and your immunity. It increases stress hormones, and it's harmful to sleep. It impacts your cognitive abilities. And because of that, it has chronic, you can have chronic inflammation that comes from this. You can have, um, uh, it lowers your immunity to where people get the cold more often if they're dealing with loneliness or dealing with other sickness and disease. It's kind of interesting how loneliness and, and isolation and disconnect, disconnection in your life can actually cause adverse effects in your physical body, in your physical body. And so, what was interesting, what, what, what prompted me to do this research was that there was recently a poll that shows between 40 and 50% of church members do not feel a sense of belonging or connectedness to the congregation of which they are members. 40% to 50% of, of church members. Now, this is a nationwide poll. Of course, if they had polled our church, it would be much higher, wouldn't it? Yeah, because, yeah, right. We may not be the biggest church in town, but we are, like, the best-looking church in town, right? We, we got a lot of good things going for us. And, and so I, I'm just telling you that, that there is a disconnection that can happen. And I got to tell you, I, my heart would be that it would be 0% of the people would feel disconnected when they show up to City Church, when they would show up in, in this place, that people would feel the connection both with other people, but they would also feel that connection with God. Right, that wouldn't that be a great thing? But I can tell you, based on the polls and the stats, there are probably people here today in the room that are part of the church, or maybe watching online that are part of our church that, that can sometimes say, Well, I feel the disconnection inside of my church. Listen, I, I want to help you today because one of the greatest gifts that, that Jesus gave to us when he came to earth is this thing, the gift of adoption, which is the word that's used in the Bible all the time, where he chooses us to include us in everything that he's doing. And so the gift of adoption is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and it's, it's super important because disconnection is a real thing. It creates real loneliness in people. And then some people can't live their whole life when they're disconnected from the family of God. And we want, I want everyone here to be connected to the family of God. But I guess what? There are people who aren't even here yet who need to be connected to the family of God. And so as a church, we should have a heart to also help keep people get connected to the family of God. Maybe they know who God is and they believe. Maybe you're here this morning and that's where you're at. You've been a believer for a while, but you're just kind of disconnected from the family of God. Well, or maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and, and maybe you're, you're so far from God, you're just kind of, I'm not even sure if this God thing's even real. Listen, I want to tell you the heart of God this morning is that you would be connected to him, that you'd be connected into his family. You see, he did something with the gift of adoption is that he chose us to be part of his family. He chose us to be part of his family. So as we celebrate Jesus, Christmas, Jesus made a way for us to join the family of God. Jesus gave us the gift of adoption. Sometimes we can overlook some of the gifts that Jesus has given us. We take for granted the things that he has done. See, the gift of adoption can have a major impact on our decision-making and our way of living life. We can get stuck in a, in a wrong mentality. The Bible calls it a, a slave mentality versus a son mentality. And we can get stuck in a slave mentality in a, rather than a son mentality. 
As we get through this message today, I'll explain that in better detail. But the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. A lot to say about adoption, a lot to say about how, how God, Jesus made a way for us to be in right relationship with God so that we can be part of the family of God. And so we're going to look at two scriptures this morning, but the first one is in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It's on the screens, but if you want to look it up in your Bible, you certainly can. And it says in Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. So Jesus came so that we can have adoption as sons. Not slaves, but as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Holy Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, there's a difference between a slave and a son. Now, in, in our culture, in our society, we really don't have slavery. That's not a, an open thing that's around anymore. It was a, definitely a part of our past as a country, a very dark part of our past as a country, but, but, but we don't have that in our country anymore. So sometimes getting our mind around that is, is a difficult thing, from, from looking at it from our perspective in 2018. But, but the be, probably the, the best analogy that we can come up with that affects today although it's not the same and it's not doing justice to the slave-son mentality, but it would be the employee versus business owner mentality. The employee versus the business owner mentality. As an employee, you're not a slave to the company by any means, but what you're doing is this, is you're trading your time for dollars, right? You, you have 24 hours in a day and you've agreed, I'm gonna give this guy 10 hours of my time, and if I give him that time, he's going to give me this much dollars, or, or 40 hours a week, or, or 50, whatever your situation is. If it's 10 hours a day, or let's just say it's a 10-hour day, you work four tens, and it's four 10-hour days, and you're going to do this, and you exchange that time for money. As an employee, you don't have a vested interest in the ownership of the project. You're simply trading time for dollars. You're, plating, you're trading your work for some sort of Reward Your effort may be for some respect inside of the business. You're applying your knowledge for employment. But see, here's the thing, is if we treat our relationship with God that way, it puts us in a pretty tricky place. Because now, all of a sudden, we are, are looking at it like we're trading our behavior for some sort of reward. You're not an employee of God. You're a son. You're an heir you're a family member. And as a family business, you're part of the ownership of what God is doing here on earth. You're not an employee. I don't clock in and clock out with my relationship with God. I don't trade, well, if I put a list together, if I'm going to do these good things and I'm going to stop doing those bad things, then I'm going to get my golden ticket to go to heaven. That's not really how it works, according to the Bible. And so if you, but if you treat your relationship with God as a list of do's and don'ts, you've slipped into an employee mentality rather than a co-heir, a, a, a family business owner along with God. And that's what this is talking about. You see, as an owner, an owner invests resources to leverage to have greater impact. The owner is leveraging what he has available at his fingertips in order to have the greater impact for what the mission is of his business or organization. You see, the mission of God is people. The mission of God is, is going into all the world and, and loving people like Jesus did. And, and to be able to love people and point people into a relationship with God, that's the business that God is in. And if we are co-heirs and if we're sons in the family business, well, then our mission is to do that too. Which means we're not trading time for dollars. We're not trading behavior for certain rewards with God. We are now working alongside of God as a son in the business, in the family business of helping people know who Jesus is, helping people to feel love, the love of God coming upon them. Which means we as business owners, that's me and you all together as Christians, we are now leveraging the resources that we have that God has given us, by the way, that, that we can now use those resources to help reach more people for Jesus so they they also might feel the love of God. There's a difference between a slave and a son. There's a difference between an employee and a business owner. As a son and a daughter, you are an heir. You are in partnership. You have a vested interest in the family business because you have been adopted as part of the family of God. 
You've been adopted as part of the family of God. Let's look at this a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, the whole first section of Ephesians 1 talks about this. We're going to look at just a few verses. Starting at verse 3, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure or purpose of his will. There's this verse and this word in here says predestined. I want to address this just for a quick second. Because there have been, there have been people, maybe some confusion inside of the church world of what this word means in the context of this verse. Almost as if God has pre-ahead of time chosen who will or won't, he, he will or won't adopt. But that's not actually what this verse is saying. I, I don't believe that God has said, well, that one's going to hell and that one's going to heaven and there's nothing you can do about it. I believe that God offers his free gift of salvation and he offers his adoption to every person. They have the free will to be able to choose to accept it or to not. You see, there are even some group that believe in that, that, that choice, right? Or that, that there's a lack of choice. See, in, in other words... Some people will take this and say, well, there's only a chosen few who are going to make it to heaven. But that's not what this verse is talking about. In fact, that's not even what this word means when you start to look at the biblical definition and the real world definition, uh, the dictionary definition. So this is what it means in the dictionary. It says a fixed purpose, a predetermined boundary, a border. So this term was originally used in geography as saying this is the predetermined path that which we're going to take. Jesus, or God predetermined to adopt people into his kingdom. Which means what Jesus did wasn't like halfway through humanity, he's like, oh man, I'm in a pickle, what am I going to do now? No, no, no. It's saying that in the beginning, he predetermined that he was going to send Jesus to offer adoption for everyone to come into it. That's what this verse is saying. And so it says that, that you, and I, you and I has adopt, been, bleh, you and I as adopted sons and daughters can partake of all the blessings that God has for his people. This wasn't something that God thought up at the last minute. This was something he had predetermined from the beginning of time. Guess what? He's predetermined a purpose for you and for me. He's predetermined a path that, that which, for which us to, to, to go for. He never intended for, to leave us out of his plan. So we were part of his plan before the foundation of the world. Before he thought of everything, he already had the plan to adopt everyone into his family. That's the gift that Jesus brought. It's a gift of adoption into his family. In verse 4, it says, He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us for the, before the foundation of the world. In verse 5, it says this was God's pleasure and purpose. Now, now when you look, many of you know this, but if you don't know this, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was, there's multiple languages throughout the course of time the Bible was written in. And so when you, when you look at this, sometimes when they translate from one language into English, there's, there's a difference of maybe opinion of how it's translated. So when you look in your Bible, some Bibles will say this according to the good pleasure and purpose of his will. Some will say good pleasure. Some will say purpose because the word that's used there kind of implies both. And so it's the good pleasure and purpose of his will. God chose to adopt you and me because it was his pleasure to do so. He wanted to. He didn't, wasn't forced to. He legitimately wanted to. He chose you. So God found pleasure in making a way for us to be included in his family. God not only planned and purposed to adopt us, but he found great pleasure in it. He wanted us. This gift of adoption that Jesus brought when he came into earth is incredible. It's huge. It's, it's really unbelievable. And the impact that this has on not just our, what, our, what we think about in our life, not just, not just on our mind, will, and emotions, but the impact that that should have on our spirit life, and also our, which then trickles into even our physical body. I'm telling you that, that the impact of the, the, the gift of adoption is something when we recognize it, and when we say, yeah, I, 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 this is good, I, can, I have my faith in this, and, and you start to act out what God has given you through this gift of adoption, it will start to have a rippling effect through your life. 
It, it's, in my opinion, maybe one of the most important gifts that Jesus did while he was here on earth. The most important thing he did while he was on earth is made a way for us to be in God's family. Like, like that is what is it. This, this gift is, is huge. I can't even express it with words and how massive this is. What a blessing to be a part of a family that wants you. You're not a mistake. I mean, you might have been a mistake in your parents' eyes. I don't know, you know. But I'm just telling you, you were not a mistake in God's eyes. You know, like you are not a mistake. You were not an accident. We used to joke that my younger brother was the accident. Yeah, it, we had some evidence. I'm just, I'm, they're 11 months apart, my, my sister and my brother. So I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if they wanted a third child or if they just like loved each other too much. I, I don't really know. And when it's your own parents, it's a little like, I don't want to ask that question, you know, because gross. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, your parents, you, right? You're not an accident. You were planned for. This is why all of heaven rejoices when one comes to salvation. I can tell my kids with absolute assurance they were both planned for. There was not an accident involved with them. I'm so glad to have my two daughters. I say that even my daughter's in the front row this morning. You know, there's, there's, Kids born every day in the families that don't want them, though. It's unfortunate, but you see it in our society. And so I'm not going to pretend that everyone here was purposely planned for by your parents. Maybe you felt like you were an accident child in your family. But we see it all over the place, don't we? We see it in the news. We see it in reports. We, we understand that there are accidents, children, in some respects that people will say. But you're not an accident in God's eyes. You were planned for and you were purposed. Kids are born into this accident, right? They, they're, but they're not, they were an accident in their parents' eyes. They were not planned for. Maybe they thought they were a mistake. But because of this, maybe they were neglected or, or maybe they were abused or, or mistreated. They suffer a rejection complex. and Maybe a feeling of being unloved or unwanted. If you believe that you were an accident, you might feel like you were unloved or unwanted. A feeling of being useless and unnecessary. People who suffer from this will have words that will come out of their mouth that will sound something like, it would have been better off if I've never been born. They feel they have been messed up, they have messed up their mother and father's lives as, as an inconvenience. Maybe because they just assumed that. Unfortunately, maybe because they were told that. They feel like they're a consistent burden and the weight upon the family. You know what? Sometimes people can feel that way about the family of God, too. People can show up to church and feel like that, too. I'm just a burden around here. I don't really fit in. Listen, you're not an accident. If you ever feel that way, you're not an accident. I believe that God has you here on purpose, for a purpose. And then if you don't feel like you're connecting, well, my, my God, my, my heart is that, that you would find a, a church family here, a family of God, both in person with people, but also that your heart would be connected with God in such a way that you would feel absolutely loved and welcomed and included into his family at all times. I mean, that, that is the heart of God. I want you to know that. That is the heart of God, that at all times you are included. They can feel wanted or unloved, even in church, or even in their relationship with God. You know, this is actually one of the biggest strategies of the devil. I mean, if the enemy can get you to feel unwanted and included, like, like you don't belong, like maybe you're just a mistake, if the enemy can get you to feel that way, if the, if the devil can make you get that kind of emotion or thought process going through your mind, he can start to separate you from the pack. He can start to separate you from your relationship with God. You see, that, that's kind of his goal. I don't know if you know that. The Bible says that Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and, and if he wants to get you, if he can separate you and you're by yourself, it's a whole lot easier than if you're surrounded by a church family, than if you're really in great relationship with God. As soon as you start to pull away, you become more vulnerable. In, in, in Africa, in the plains of Africa, the lions don't go for the strongest one in the pack. They go for the weakest one in the pack because their meat probably tastes just as good. You know, like, like they, they know that they, that they find the ones that are lingering. They find the ones that are a little behind, and those are the ones that they go for. The enemy is the same way. 
The Word of God says he's prowling and lurking like a roaring lion looking to pounce. And so, so listen, if you want to stay safer, you stay close to God and you stay close to God's people. And I'm telling you, you become less of a target and less of a target of the enemy to come after you. He tries to get you to feel like an unwanted burden, like you were an afterthought in the mind of God, like, like maybe you were an accident in God's mind. This is why you maybe hear people say things like, well, there's, there's just no love in this church. Well, no, I think there's a lot of love in the church. I think that there's a misconnection so that the love is not getting communicated through the right channels. Let's work on that connection together. Nobody likes me, not even the pastor. Listen, I, I think I like all of you. I think I like all of you. I, 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 every, what I know of you, I really like. How about that? Everybody that I've met here, I, I like. I like everyone that's here. Listen, I want you to know that I like you. I, and and maybe, maybe I, I missed you in the hall saying hi. And, and I, I promise you it's just an oversight of, 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 of mine, you know. Like, like I, I genuinely like and love everyone that's in this church. And, and so, you know, I want you to know that just, it was just a miscommunication if maybe I did something that would have you feel that way. How about this? I'll assume the best in you if you can assume the best in me. What would it look like if we had a church family that automatically assumed the best in one another? That when there was a miscommunication, maybe a little bit of conflict, rather than thinking that person's blank and blank and blank and casting judgment on the limited view of their actions that you could take, we said, hold on, I'm going to assume the best in them. Maybe they're just having a bad day. And I would just happen to be around when that happened, right? Like, like, I'm telling you, what if we just automatically assume the best in one another and help spur each other on in a relationship with Jesus? Wouldn't that be an incredible community to be part of? I want to be part of that church. And I hope that you do too, but let's believe the best in one another and encourage one another to be following Jesus with everything that we have. Listen, the things and the lies of the enemy come at you. It's a lie from the devil to get people to buy into the spirit of rejection. See, if you get stuck in this one, this is a really hard one to get broken out of. The spirit of rejection, the, the isolation, and people don't like me. Because when you start to think that that's how people think, you start to look for those things. And sure enough, you can always find enough evidence to find what you're looking for. If you're looking for acceptance, it's easy to find evidence of that. If you're looking for rejection, it's Easy to find evidence of that. But what happens when you get stuck is you begin to wallow in self-pity. And when the self-pity gets wallowing, your emotions start to build up to a place where it starts to blind you and, and, and cloud your judgment. And other th everything becomes an issue. Even the little things that didn't seem to matter all of a sudden become something that matters. Small things have become Devastating. The strategy of hell, the strategy of hell is to make you feel unwelcome in the kingdom of God. That is the strategy of hell, is that you would feel unwelcome in the kingdom of God. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that's not what God's word says. God's word doesn't say you are unwelcome. In fact, God's word says that you're not only welcome, but you are not just welcome to hang out. You're not just coming over for dinner every once in a while, but you've been adopted into the family, which means God's kitchen is your kitchen, which means you know how you have those friends that you walk over and you ring the doorbell, they answer, how are you doing? You think, should I take my shoes off? I don't know how this works. And, and, and you sit very politely. And, you're, and then you have those friends that you don't even ring the doorbell. You just walk in the door. You're like, hey, what's up? And the first thing you do, walk to the fridge, open it up and just grab something to drink you know, or, or you make yourself a sandwich. Those kinds of friends, you, listen, you're not the ring the doorbell kind of friend with God. You're the, uh, you got a bedroom upstairs in the same house kind of God. Like that's how he accepts you and that's how he looks at you. He's adopted you and included you and his fridge is your fridge and, and his snacks are your snacks and, and his resources are your resources. You're not just coming in and, and hanging out at a distance, but God has said, no, 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 come all the way in because you are a son. You are part of the family. Listen, God says this, welcome home. I'm glad that you're here. Listen, welcome home. I'm glad that you're here. And I think most of our church, if you're a visitor or you're hanging out, you're just starting to get plugged in, welcome home. You're, I'm glad that you're here. That should be something that comes out of our mouth when, when we start bringing friends to church and start bringing people. It should be like an attitude of, welcome home. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. You're part of the family of God. You're part of the family of God. 
The word predestined doesn't mean that God chooses some persons for salvation and others must go, and, and everyone else must go. <clears throat> in fact, the word of God teaches us the exact opposite. Just a handful of verses in John 3, 16. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Anyone who believes in him will now not perish but have eternal life, which means the decision is in your heart. Do you believe? Will you put your faith in him? And in Romans chapter 10, 13, it says, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say, if you call upon the name of the Lord and your name is on this secret list that nobody knows about. It just says, no, it just says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. The heart of God is that everyone would come into a relationship with God. The heart of God is that everyone would say yes to the adoption offer that he's making, that he's offered to every one of us. And I've got four points this morning. And the first one is this, is, is number one, is that God wants you. God wants you. Like, like, you know there's those people in your life that you tolerate and those people that you life that you like? Like, God likes you. You know what I mean? You have those family members in your family that are like, you know, that aunt and that uncle, and sure, you love them because they're family and you kind of have to, but then you have that uncle that you love, right, or that aunt that you love or that family that, that you just really like to hang around with. God not only loves you, but he likes you. He wants you. He, he, he really wants, his heart is desiring after you. The devil comes at you with lies and rejection, but you see, God doesn't reject you. He doesn't reject you. You're not an unwanted human that he is burdened with. He's not looking up in heaven going, man, there's like seven billion of them people down there. You're like, man, what am I going to do with all seven billion people? No, he has a house big enough for all of us. He wants all of us. He wants you to. Number two is this, is that God chooses you. God chooses you. Huh. Well, gee, Pastor Matt, if you just... You knew what I did in my past. I don't know if you would be so willing to say that God chooses me. Well, it says that God made that decision when he formed the earth. And if our God is all-knowing and supersedes space and time, it means that, that he knew what you were going to do in the past when he made the decision to build the adoption clause into what he was doing. Which means this, is that he knows what you're doing right now and still wants you and chooses you. He knew what you did in the past and he wants you and chooses you. He knows what you're doing right now. Even if you think right now, gee, what I'm doing is so wrong. There's something in my life that is not right. God literally says, I know. And I knew that when I made the decision to adopt you into my family. Right? And get this. He knows what you're going to do in the future. So if you screw up something in the future, guess what? He knows, and he still offers the same adoption clause to you. He wants you, and he chooses you. Isn't, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You know, you guys may know this. We have cats in our house. How many dog people are here? We've got dogs. We've got do oh, yeah, a lot of dogs. How many cat people are in the house? We've got, we've got dogs. Some, some double hands. I saw that. We've got dogs and cats going on. So we're, we're cat people. And um, nothing really against dogs necessarily, um, but, but cats are what we have. And, and so uh, I got to tell you, my, my cats, when we, when we first got them as kittens, um, they were a little bit messy. You know, it took, them, took us just a little bit of time to get them to train to go to the bathroom in the litter box, but really maybe a week, you know, and when we had them going in the litter box, no problem. You know, the great thing about cats is you can just throw a big old pile of food on the ground and they won't eat themselves to death like a dog. You know, you don't have to regulate everything. You can, you can just throw a big old pile, and then they'll, take, they'll, they'll stop when they're hungry and keep running around doing what they're doing, right? So, so guess what? They eat just fine. They, they wash themselves. That's amazing, right? They, they lick their own body down and wash it. You know, my, my, uh, my older cat, he's a, he's a killer, stone cold. I mean, it's unreal. It's just a slaughterhouse in my back patio all the time. He's out there killing things left and right. But they're out, they'll feed themselves if they need to. In fact, my cats don't even use a litter box anymore. They go outside and they don't poop in my yard. I don't know. I know it's kind of 
And I didn't train them to do that, but, but they do that, right? So, so they're really pretty easy. They're pretty low maintenance. You know, in the wintertime, they get cold, just like I get cold. And, and they jump up in my lap, and they curl up, and they purr, and they, and they kind of knead. And, and then they curl. And so they, I, I'm warm, and they're warm. And, you know, like if, with my cats, if, um, if I, uh, I need to get up and go, like, I don't know, grab a drink of water or something or go just stand up, I just pick them up, set them down, and keep going. And you get up and go, and the cat doesn't hold it against me. The cat's like, man, whatever, cool, I got you. you know? And I come back and sit back down. They'll jump back up in my lap and curl up right where they were at. And, and they, they just continue to have almost like this selfless love. They were like really, really super low maintenance, pretty easy. They're cheap to operate. The ROI on cash flow to love is, is really good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's like I got a low energy input, low, low, low money input, and then the love is, it comes back pretty, pretty fleet, freely, right? The cats are like, okay, this is a, this is, you know, the, the numbers make sense. I can put that on a chart and I can like, yeah, okay, cats are good. I can deal with that. But I got to say this, you know, I had a couple kids. My oldest is here this morning with us. And, and, and so my, my kids is, is this, is he the first few years, it, it, it took them a little bit longer to train them to go to the bathroom in the right place. You know what I mean? Like, there's the diaper. There's the, there's the, the thing, right? It took them longer to train them how to sleep through the night. Uh, they, they, they cried. They, they made a lot more noise. I have to regulate the, not only the quantity of food that they eat, but the quality of food. I learned pretty quickly, you can't regulate the quantity. They're going to eat however much they can eat. Like, they're just going to eat. Like, if they don't want to eat, they're not going to eat. You can't make them eat. You know, and, and so all you can do is control the quality of food, right? The options that they have in front of them. But it took a lot more effort. Like, like they, they request specific food to eat. Even now, as, as, as elementary school kids, they request specific food to eat. My cat has never asked for macaroni and cheese. It ne- never asked for macaroni and cheese. Kids, I macaroni and cheese. Yeah, sure, you know. It takes a lot more effort. It takes a lot more effort to be able to put in to, to have the kids, right? They cried a lot. You know, we had to bathe them. They didn't bathe themselves like the cats. You know what? Now they're a little bit older, they do. It's like, hey, it's shower time. They go do, take care of themselves. They bathe themselves now. Of course, now they give me a little attitude sometimes. They give me a little back talk uh, a little bit. You know, they, they cost me a lot more money, a lot more time, a lot more energy. Gee, these cats cost me, I mean, the, the cats cost me a whole lot less than my kids do, don't they? But I want you to know this, that the love for my kids is not dependent upon their behavior. I had a cat one time that clawed one of my kids in the face. That cat found a new home the next day because it attacked my kid and scratched him in the face. My love for that cat depended on its behavior. That cat was my slave. That cat was not my son. Listen, my kids, I don't care what they do, it will not impact my love for them. Like Eden, you should know this, that it doesn't matter what you do, you can screw up everything in your life and I will still love you with all the love that I have today. You can get everything right or you can get everything wrong, you can land in the middle somewhere, but my love for you doesn't change no matter what happens in this world. Listen, I'm telling you, God's love for you is exactly the same. There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of Jesus, just like there is nothing that my children can do that can separate my love for them. My love is not dependent upon their behavior. Listen, God's love is not dependent upon your behavior. If you've been beating yourself up and you've been saying, I am not good enough because of my behavior this way, I'm not good enough because of my behavior that way, gee, I've been tearing myself down because I'm not deserving of, of the love of Jesus. Listen, the love of Jesus is not conditional upon your behavior which should bring freedom into our life to say, well, wait a minute. That means that, that if I do all the right things, he doesn't love me anymore. If I do all the wrong things, he doesn't love me any less. That should bring a level of freedom into our life to know and security and comfort into who we are as a person to know that God loves us unconditionally. Zero conditions. He chooses you. 
And the only reason that we don't feel chosen sometimes is because we look at our life from our perspective and our eyes. We put our filters and judgments on it and act like that's God's filters and judgment and his love is filtered up to us the way that we might filter our own love to ourselves. But that's not it. God loves you so much more. He chooses you despite your flaws. He chooses you despite everything that's going on in your life or has gone on in your life. Number three, God had a plan from the beginning. God had a plan from the beginning. You see, when the devil comes at you with lies of rejection and feelings of being unloved and unwanted, this is what you can do. You you can tell the enemy this. A couple things. First, not every thought that comes into your head is a good thought. Not every thought that comes in your head is truth. A thought can come into your brain that is an absolute lie. You don't have to accept it. You should compare it to the truth and see, does this compare? And you can choose to reject those thoughts. Some of those thoughts you're coming up with on your own. Some of those thoughts are coming straight from the pit of hell and the enemy is is throwing those fiery darts at you and those thoughts are coming into your brain and they're not coming from God or even from you, they're coming straight from the enemy, but you can tell yourself and you can tell the devil the same thing. And you can say this, God chose me from before the worlds were formed and God had a plan for my life. You can say that. In fact, I encourage you to write it down and put it on a sticky note on your mirror in the morning. When you're brushing your teeth, you can say the same thing. Maybe, yeah, brushing your teeth might sound a little funny, but you can do it. Right? And God formed me, God chose me. I am part of his plan. See, God made a plan so that we could spend eternity together. Not because he had to. No, because he wanted to. God didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. He chose you. You see, God enjoys your company. He wants to hang out with you. He wants you, and he chooses you. And the fourth and final point the band would come, we're going to close, is that, is this, is that adoption is that plan. Adoption is that plan. Adoption is that plan. So what does it mean to be adopted? You see, when this part of the Bible was written, it was during the Roman Empire. And so you've got to take into account when people of that era are using that word, they're typically referring from the context of which they are writing that word. Today, if you say swag, you know, that's a word today, you know, you got extra stuff, right? And if it, later on in life, that word may mean something entirely different. I don't really know. You know, you just never know. But you look at current language and the context it was written in to understand what the author was communicating. And so he says, so the Roman time, there were actually three legal steps were taken for adoption. And the first one was that the, the adoption was permanent. There's a legal aspect to adoption in, in that era, in the Roman Empire. It was permanent. You can't undo it. You can't undo it. You can't undo the adoption. You can't be unadopted. The only way to lose your rights and your privileges to that family was to choose to be adopted to someone else. You can actually, in that time, you could choose to be adopted into another family. And when you chose that, you can't be unadopted. You have to once you're adopted, your only option from there was just to be adopted to another family. And when you adopted to the new family, you lost all the rights and privileges of the previous family. That's kind of what backsliding is about in the Christian faith. There are people who have made the decision to, to follow Jesus, and then sometime later they, they made the decision, whether verbally or consciously or just through their actions, to say, I'm not going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to adopt myself into this new way of life and thus cutting themselves off from what Jesus had paid for and offered. The good news is you can always come back. You can always come back and say, no, no, I'm choosing this. His his offer doesn't go away. So you can't be unadopted. The only way to lose your rights and privileges was to choose to be adopted to someone else. This is what backsliding is all about. See, it's a choice you make to no longer be part of the family of God, but we have the freedom to choose what family to be a part of. You see, that's the great news of of who Jesus is and and what he did, is that we have the freedom to choose which family we're going to be part of. You're free. You're free to choose which family to be part of. Number two, the adopted son immediately had all legal rights as a legitimate son. 
So as children of God, we have available to us all the blessings that Jesus has available to him. This is why Jesus was able to say, and greater works than these shall you do. You see, so the adoption is permanent. The adopted son immediately had all legal rights as a legitimate son. And third thing is the adopted also immediately lost all right to the old family. This is good news. Because when you say yes to Jesus and his offer to you, his gift of adoption, say, yes, I want to be adopted into God's family. I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose to be joining that family that God is in. It cuts off all the legal rights of the previous adopted family, which means your past no longer has authority over you. Your past no longer can come back and say, well, this is how you've always been. Your mom was this way, you're going to be this way. Your dad was this way, you're going to be this way. You know what? You, you see, you're the fourth generation of alcoholics, you're just going to be an alcoholic. You know what? Listen, the enemy might come back at you and accuse you from your past, but guess what? The authority of your past is now broken because of the adoption into who Jesus is. Being adopted into the family of Jesus gives you some things. It's probably the greatest gift of all because it gives you the power and the authority to be in the family of God, which means the resources that God has are the same resources that you have. The old debts are forgiven, the old sins are cast away, and we become children of God. You see, the strategy of hell is to make you feel unwelcome in the kingdom of God so that you don't accept everything that God has to give you. If he can make you feel unwelcome, if he can get you to feel rejected, if he can get that seed planted inside of you that you're not connected to the family of God, you're not connected to the kingdom of God, if he can get that going in your life, then, then you're more likely to reject the adoption that God has offered you and accept an adoption into the wrong family, into the kingdom of darkness. And that, that's his goal is to separate you from God. That is the enemy's goal. And I'll close with this. You're gardening in your garden. And you don't get you get plants to grow out of the ground, but they don't produce the flowers that you want them to produce. You know, what are the things that you do, right? I mean, I'm not much of a green thumb, so I'm having to use my imagination. There's a plant growing out of the ground, and it gets green and it grows up out of the ground, and there's no flower coming off. But the first thing that I don't do is that I don't go out there and start reprimanding the plant for not growing the petals of the flower. I don't go to the plant and say, well, you worthless, whatever. I don't, I don't go to the plant and start condemning it and judging it and saying, where are the flowers? I paid good money for you. Where, where Produce, dance, make a flower. Yeah, I, I don't do that. You know what I know? And I think you know this too. The potential of that plant to produce a flower is still in that plant. So what do I got to do? I got I to do, I got to change some things, don't I? I got to change the environment of that plant so that it has potential to unlock, to unlock the potential of the flowering that's inside of that plant. I got, I got to give it a little bit more water or maybe a little less if I'm overwatering it. I got to give it the right amount of fertilizer so it has the right nutrients to be able to grow. A good amount of sunshine, but not too much, right? The sticker on the plant, it tells you how much to give it, I think. And so you follow the instructions, you give it the right amount of water and, and nutrients and, and sunshine. You change the environment of the plant in order to cultivate the gift that's in it for the flower to come out. God has put a gift inside of you. He has put a deposit in you that, that you might flower and become the beautiful creation that he has called you and designed you and made you to be. My Church, my, my encouragement for you is this, is adjust your environment to help cultivate that potential to come out of you. Adjust your environment. Plant yourself and choose the adoption that Jesus has given us so that you might be in the right environment to be in God's presence so that it can fertilize and water and get in the adoption plant, get planted into a local church so that, so that you might might find the, 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 the right things around you so that you can flourish in what you're doing. I'm telling you, when you get connected into the kingdom of God, when you get connected into the local church and into the family of Jesus, listen, I'm telling you, put you in an environment to start to unlock the full potential of everything that God put inside of you. Listen, God wants you. God chooses you. God likes you. And he wants to adopt you into his family. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for the gift of adoption. God, those thousands, 2,000 years ago, when, when you came from heaven into earth and we're, we're a baby born into a manger, you changed the game. 
you made an offer that we can't refuse or shouldn't refuse. God, you made an offer that is just so good, it's too good to be true. God, I pray that whether you've been a, in our midst here, we have people that have been believers for a long time, people just believers for a short while, or maybe people who haven't even made a decision to follow Jesus yet. God, I pray for everyone here that our mentality would shift, the way we approach you would change. God, that, that we would understand the gift of adoption that you've offered us, and that, God, we would walk in the, in, the, in the comfortableness of being your son and not your slave. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you might be here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Or, or maybe you're like the guy who made the decision, but you walked away and you rejected it and you said, no, I'm choosing to walk in a different family. Listen, today you can make that decision to follow Jesus. You can make that decision right now. God still offers it. He still wants you and chooses you. He still wants to adopt you and have you in his family. Nothing you have done, are doing, or will do will ever separate you from the love of God. His love is still there all the way. So right where you're at, whether you're sitting in this room or or you're, you're watching online, you can make that decision today. And this is a prayer that you would pray as, is, is you would just say, dear Jesus, today I choose you. Today I accept your gift of adoption. Jesus, today I want to be in your family. God, forgive me for my past and help me walk with you in my future. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. And if you prayed that with all of your heart, and if that's where you're at today, we have these cards in the back pocket in front of you. We'd love to help you in your next steps. You can check off, I made a decision today, and drop it in the box on the way out the door, and we'll get you connected with it to help you get connected into the family. We don't just want you to make a decision and walk away. We want to help you get plugged in so that you find that connection. So come on, church, let's stand. And finally, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for all the generosity you've given to us so that we can be generous back to you. God, that we can follow you and, and give back towards the mission of this church and what we're doing here in our city, in our nation, in our world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, let's sing one last song before we leave.